When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And then, and then it was eerily quiet. And then my mind was kind of like, you know, the head in the fishbowl. Then it takes me into the bathroom and says, this is how you brush your teeth. Brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat, brush, rinse, repeat. But there were two girls. And it was like, you don't have to give us a ride. You can't fill us snow. You can't refuse us. He'll let us in his car. The thoughts were all alone in this empty void. Hey guys, we're on Conspira Normal. And uh Rob has just been put through the ringer this week, man. How's how's everything going with you? Good, man. I just shotgunned an energy drink and I don't feel anything. <laughs> well, you're kind of chasing it down with whatever that is right next to you. Well, it's scotch, obviously. It's oh, okay. Yeah, that's your main go to. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you've been you've been working hard this week and 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 getting ready. Well, by the time this comes out, it'll already have passed, but uh you were you're getting ready for your for your big gig in the sky coming up. That's right. The big uh Learning all these old 80s songs and... Yeah, well, this time we're, we're doing a Rockabilly song, which I, I've never done. I, I don't know anything about Rockabilly. And on bass, it's just this relentless, like, do 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 like, you know, for like five minutes. Well, Tim Ritter is on the line. Tim, you got any advice about Rockabilly for, for Rob? Um, absolutely none. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can talk a year off about traditional folk songs. You, you want to talk traditional ballads of the uh, UK and America? Uh, we'll go for an hour and a half. <laughs> There's 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 no techniques you could share with Rob. <laughs> now, ha- have you seen me? Like I I look like if you take like any rockabilly guy and then you sit him next to me, I'm like the polar opposite. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are. You are. <laughs> um, what's the song, Rob, that you're playing? Uh, it's uh, uh, Rock This Town, Stray Cats. Oh, Stray Cats. Okay, yeah. okay. Okay, I got gotcha. you. Well, I didn't know whether folk would be kind of similar or not. You know, I'm not. I'm not a. I love music, but I'm not like a musical guy. If that makes any I sense. Mean, they're connected in that nebulous way that that all roots music is connected. In which, sure, you know, yes, but not really. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, but not really. Well, the main reason we've got you on, we're going to get you on here for about like thirty, forty minutes. Uh, because we've got Nick Redford coming on tonight, and we're going to talk about his new book on Slender Man. And you on your podcast, Strange Familiars, that's a plug, uh, one of my favorite podcasts to listen to, you've done uh, about a episode and a half now about another interesting figure called Flannel Man. So if we want to add in another like you know rock genre, maybe you know he plays grunge, obviously. 
So yeah, absolutely. So this is something I had never heard of before I actually listened to your show. So it was just all new stuff to me. I'd never heard of flannel man. I'd heard of like the grinning man and those type of things. But what is flannel man? Well, the short answer is I don't know. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's, it's something people are. He's saying. a demon, right? I mean, well, absolutely. Aren't, isn't everything? I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, uh, um, it is some sort of entity, possibly like a Jungian archetype kind of thing. People seem to see him when they wake up, um, like, like like a hypnagogic kind of thing, possibly. Um, but the the odd thing is, people seem to be describing the same thing. So if this is a hypnagogic uh, state, it's not. It doesn't seem to be individualized. It seems to be something that people are sharing in a, in a collective kind of way because they report the same thing. His face will sometimes change from what people are reporting. Like some mm-hmm. people are reporting blonde hair, some dark hair, some people with a beard, some without. And a couple cases with glowing red eyes, which is, is pretty interesting. But the the red flannel shirt and blue jeans seems to be pretty consistent across the board. Some people... It depends what they focus on. Some people don't mention blue jeans, but they'll mention dark, dark pants, you know, with this red flannel shirt. So it's um, – and it's acting the same way. It seems like a lot of people are reporting when they see it, when they, they, they'll wake up. Um, my wife, for instance, had an, an encounter with this. And this was, uh, man, back 15, 16, 17 years ago, something like that. I'd have to – get with her she's got a much better memory than i but um we'd never heard of this before you know and and uh, she woke up from another nightmare and saw this guy uh, standing over us and woke me up screaming then and but uh, she reported it and uh, and a bunch of other witnesses have reported also that it seems like when when he realizes you're staring at him or or like it's like he's surprised like he's caught um, like he doesn't expect mm. you to see him. So that that's pretty consistent throughout the fact that people are seeing them after they wake up, uh, usually from a nightmare, they'll wake up and then see him. That's pretty consistent throughout. But what it is and what it represents, I don't know. I don't know if it's some sort of, you know, for a while I was thinking it's maybe like a an archetype of the, the, the American subconscious, you know, it represents the frontier and the yeah, because like I think of Paul Bunyan, you sure, know, something yeah. like, is he ever holding an axe or anything like that? Uh, my, my wife, when she saw him, she's she, now she said she doesn't know if he was holding an axe or if she sort of, in retrospect, put an axe in his hand because he looked so much like a lumberjack. Sure. She said he looked, looked just like uh, the brawny man. But uh, uh, I seem to remember at the time her saying he had an axe. It was a man standing over us with, with an axe. But uh, again, she's got a much better memory than I I do. Um, so, you know, but then I started getting reports from people from Sweden and stuff that, that are, are seeing this guy. There was a, I saw a guy online. He was a, he's an occult author from the UK. I won't out him cause I, I don't know how, if this is a public post on Facebook or just a friend's post, but I saw him put up a post and he was talking about, you know, doing some kind of ritual for a Babylonian or Sumerian God or something. And, you know, all those gods are bearded. And he said, you know, I, I think it worked because I, I had a, this, you know, I saw this guy in my house, he, he, this bearded God, but he was wearing a, a red flannel shirt. Weird. So, yeah. He basically described flannel man, um, you know, w- without, uh, without knowing, you know, f- but for him, it was this, you know, Sumerian deity, whatever it was. I, it's that's out of my wheelhouse. I forget exactly 
what deity it was. But it's very, uh, very interesting that that so it's popping up more than just in America. So that kind of scrubbed my uh, my Paul Bunyan uh, collective unconscious theory there. Sure, uh, but, but I don't know. I'm, I'm maybe reaching here, but just like you know, Scandinavian and uh, you know the Paul Bunyan being a Minnesota. I don't know whether there's a connection there, possibly. Yeah, but it's that, possible. It's possible. That is very that is very strange. The other thing that I was thinking of when you had said that he, well, that he always looks surprised when people often, see him. Often, yeah. And, you know, Ren Collier has this story about his an out-of-body experience. He actually talked about it on this show where he was – he saw someone else in this out-of-body experience and the guy looked at him surprised like he was shocked that, that Ren could see him. And it, that almost seems like that may be what it, what it could possibly be. But how long has this been going on? Yeah, that's uh, – you know, I, it seems like it's – a somewhat recent phenomenon, although yeah. you know, one of my witnesses was talking about early seventies, I believe, or, or maybe even, maybe even, uh, late mid to late sixties when she was, uh, real young, uh, she saw, he wa- uh, walked into, uh, her bedroom. That was the one with the red glowing eyes. Um, and I continue to get, I mean, th- this is the thing we really struck a nerve with this. Now I didn't invent this. Sure. Um, I read about this uh, years ago, like many years ago, um, I want to say, you know, early 2000s or something, I read an article on the internet and, and people said, you know, people are seeing this, this flannel man is what, what it was called on the internet. I didn't invent the name, um, this article. I don't know if it was on daily grail or above top secret or one of those sites. And I sort of made note of it. Cause I, I thought, Oh, that's, that's what, that's what Allison, that's what my wife saw. And we, we talked about it on one episode. I just, I just kind of offhandedly mentioned it to uh, James, my my sometimes co-host, and uh, and said, "Yeah, yeah, we know, have I'll- one of those too. We have a sometimes <laughs> co-host as well. <laughs> well Who isn't here, by the way? The, well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not sometimes, apparently. <laughs> but uh, I, I just offhandedly mentioned to him because you know my wife is quite the skeptic, and I said, "Well, you know, even she's right. had had an encounter with this." Uh, with this flannel man thing. And then we just got blasted with people, you know, writing emails like, you know, I've seen that thing. I've seen that thing and encounter after encounter. And, uh, I got, I got a new one today. Someone wrote me with, uh, they'll probably come on and share it. And, uh, you know, it's pretty interesting. We, we struck a nerve somehow, but, but again, like I said, I didn't invent it. it. You know, I had read about it somewhere else previously. We just started talking about it and people are responding. Do you have one of those encounters that you could read off to us? Oh, I don't know if I can read it. Um, I, I mean, I can. The, the one I could tell best is is my wife's. Um, sure. If if uh, so, I remember very clearly, and this is another interesting aspect of it. We went to uh, a friend's house, and we stayed there like well late into the night, and. It was the only person I'd ever told, other than my wife, at, at that point, up to that point, about uh, my quote-unquote alien abduction experiences, um, which uh, that's a story for another time. But I don't believe they were aliens. I don't believe I was abducted, but that's just the best uh, shorthand term for it, we'll call it. And uh, I particularly mentioned that they were had been leaning over me in this in this one instance. They were leaning over my bed. So we went back to... 
Allison's parents' house and we were we were sleeping in her bedroom, which, by the way, she from a very young age uh, reported strange things in that bedroom. She never slept with the lights out in the bedroom. She said demon dogs mm. would come out of this one corner. So and again, she's a total skeptic. She doesn't believe in any of this stuff, but she she refuses to sleep with the light out in that room. I think I convinced her to sleep with the light out that night because I was with her. Mm -hmm. So uh, we go to sleep and we were listening to a band called Nurse With Wound, a very, very creepy album called Thunder Perfect Mine. Yeah. What kind of music is that? Like, Um, what is it supposed to be? Well, Nurse With Wound, I mean, they vary from from album to album. They're very, very kind of experimental band. And, uh, you know, sometimes they have beats, sometimes they don't, sometimes it's just, you know, basically drones and, and weird sounds and stuff. This was just a, a very disturbing kind of, uh, drone-ish, but with, there's some like tribal beats in the, in, in the one song. It's very, very creepy. It's a very, very creepy album. Um, if you go, I think they have a band camp, uh, uh, Nurse With Wound, just look up Nurse With Wound band camp and Thunder Perfect Mind is one of the first uh, most recent releases, I think, because they re-released it recently. Um, and uh, <laughs> interestingly, I wrote the guy and asked permission to use the, the, his music on that Flannel Man podcast, and I, about an hour after I published it, he wrote me back and said, sure, go ahead. So, that's a weird, that's a really creepy album cover, too. I just looked it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah it's like a really twisted Goya painting or something. It's, it's, it's... Uh, of there, and again, they have you know a million albums, but uh, that's that's of the ones I've heard. That's one of my favorites. It's just it's a really dark thing. But uh, so she blames it partially on that. the The second track has this sort of tribal beat, and she wondered if that kind of didn't help her get into the state where we experienced this. Uh, you know, kind of crept into her dream or whatever. So she she had one nightmare, or she had a nightmare. She woke up from that, opened her eyes and saw this guy, this, this red flannel shirt, beard, uh, and blue jeans. And, and she's she, like, I said, she thinks holding an ax standing over us. And she woke me up screaming. I, uh, before I even looked up was saying, Oh, it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Cause you know, I'm half asleep. Uh-huh. And, and then, uh, you know, later on I thought, don't, don't do that. <laughs> don't just say it's okay. Like look around and make sure it's okay before you tell someone it's okay. But, um, you know, and of course she blamed it, blamed it for having the lights out. That's, you know, at the time. So that was hers. Uh, we had, um, let's see, Vanessa came on the podcast. Her, hers was kind of similar. She had fallen asleep. She woke up and she saw him walk into her apartment (laughs) and open her refrigerator door. And she said, she sat up. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, like it's sat up in her bed, and he looks around the refrigerator doors, catches her sitting up in bed, and gets this surprised look, like oh, I'm caught. <laughs> <laughs> so that was a pretty wild one. Uh, uh, the one woman on the show mentioned it, like she was a child. She heard someone walking in her house, walked to to her bedroom door, and just kind of looked at her. That ha- she said had red glowing eyes. Turned around and walked away. And. Uh, but uh, you, you know, both Vanessa and my wife reported that that it looked surprised. Um, I'm not sure if I've gotten so many accounts now. I know there are a couple other ones. Uh, I, I got another one recently where a guy said he looked surprised. Um, he, he caught him on the on the stairwell, I think, looking up at him. 
and uh, and he this one I don't think well yeah he had woken up from a from sleep to go get a drink of water but he he wasn't in bed he had actually gone to get a drink of water and was walking back to bed and then saw this thing in the stairwell uh, thing fellow whatever whatever it is what in the world <laughs> so it, do, do they just kind of slink away after they're caught it it seems like the they'll either yeah just kind of turn around and walk away or or disappear I mean I I think uh, in my wife's case. It just sort of went away, you know. I don't think she saw it. She didn't see it leave or walk out. It's just, you know, it was sort of gone. So that's the coolest element to it to me. Like, you know, uh, you see it or catch it in the act, and it's like, oh, I'm out. And, <laughs> and it's never threatening or anything. There's nothing uh, that nobody gets any kind of weird it's, vibes from it. Well, it seems like it's intimidating. Now, now the the. The woman who saw it when she was a, a little girl, she said she she got nothing good from it. Like to her, it was creepy. Uh, there was nothing comforting at all. Of course, the glowing red eyes would be uh, rather disturbing. I would think. Uh, you know, there's 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 nothing comforting about that experience for a child, certainly. Um, and Allison said it was my wife. She said it was the only like the only thing that was threatening is that he was standing above us. Right. She. Other than that, she said he looked surprised. He looked like, like whoa, like you, you, you know, you can see me. He he did not look angry or mean or anything. So, while I don't think they're they're benign encounters with them, they they seem to be sort of neutral. Like, you know, they, they seem to be people just kind of catching him in the act of of whatever he's doing. Uh, if it's an independent entity, I mean, you know, who, this who knows? You know, it's hard it's hard to talk about because we really don't. You know, we don't have tracks or footprints or hair or anything. It's well, just uh, stories. What What if it is some guy that's doing some kind of astral travel or something? I mean, first we got to prove that astral travel really exists. But just just to speculate, I mean, what if it is some guy and he's been doing this for I don't know forty years, and he always just like he does it, and sometimes he gets caught, sometimes he doesn't. He needs to change his shirt. <laughs> the the, the red flannel thing is interesting too because there are uh and and i get this a lot like uh, you know the uh the uh the well actually guys you know well actually um you know they want to correct you on everything (laughs) yeah Uh, the, the the 40 and well actually guys love to point out that like well actually lauren coleman talked about ghosts wearing checkered shirts in the 1970s well this is not the same thing. These, these aren't ghosts. This is a very specific looking, you know, not, not just a general, Oh, there was a ghost in a checkered thing. It's a very, very specific. I mean, maybe a ghost, I don't know, but it's a very specific entity that people are describing, not just something. Right. Like a checkered shirt. And there have been uh, Bigfoot reports too, oddly enough of, of the creatures in, you know, checkered shirts and flannel, which is just <laughs> really weird. You got to tell me one of the, <laughs> Man, you can't let that just drop. (laughs) Every now and then, you'll just get this weird report with someone. Someone will just say, "Like, oh yeah, you know, I saw this creature's, you know, eight foot tall." But weirdly, it was wearing like this ripped up flannel shirt, (laughs) (laughs) ripped up like it hulked out into the. Then it's like, maybe, I mean, my thought was maybe they just like took it off someone's wash line or something but but the odd detail is the checkered or 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 flannel you know shirt it's it's come up you know more than once it's they're they're rare reports but even in like the historical reports i collect every now and then you'll 
you'll catch one where uh, they'll say he was wearing clothes or was wearing a shirt or, or, you know, just odd stuff like that here and there. Bizarre. So there, there is, there does seem to be something with like checked or, or flannel uh-huh. clothing that, that sort of goes across the board in the paranormal experience. What that is, I have no clue. You know, if it was if it was you know people wearing owl patterns or or you know wizard robes or something like that, <laughs> yeah. well, you know that that sort of makes sense, I guess. But you know, flannel, where does that come from? Yeah, I mean, uh, like you said, it could be like you know the, the everybody's unconscious um, view view of a workman, and you brought up that your wife thought it looked like the brown the brawny man. Yeah, that that's another part of this stuff too that makes me. And I'm going to talk. We're going to talk about Nick with Nick Redfern about this. You know about Slender Man, and about how that came into popular culture, and then everybody started started seeing it. So you know the brownie man is something that you go to the supermarket, you see that all the time. It's yeah. it's something that's almost unconscious, and you got to wonder if that you know people start seeing the brownie man for just some odd damn reason. With Slender Man, it almost has a feeling of, to me, of like like a tulpa, like like it's this thought form that people have put all this energy into this thing, right? You know, thinking about him, writing about him. I think he's in video games and stuff, uh, um, horror movies, et cetera, et cetera. That that you could almost see, you know, people sort of, uh, you know, making this thought form out of this this you know cultural meme or or whatever you want to call it. But the, the Flannel Man just seems like. I mean, honestly, you know, Slender Man seems pretty sinister and all. Flannel Man, just, it's kind of a a boring image, really. You know, I mean, there's not <laughs> anything. That, it, it, I mean, people are like, you got to write the Flannel Man book. I'm like, all right, I mean, maybe I will, but I it's like, where's the hook? You know, it's just, it's just going to be some dude. <laughs> <laughs> that goes rummages through your refrigerator at night and hopes he doesn't get caught. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's, he's just some hungry guy, the hungry lumberjack who's a... Uh, well i was going to ask you too about you know your wife's experience and um about you know about her room and her seeing the demon dogs Mm -hmm. i mean is is could this be a k well you know the history of the house i mean was had people seen weird stuff in it a lot other than her i think it was only her i think for whatever reason she just had a and it Mm -hmm. was only in one room of the house it was her her own bedroom (laughs) ironically and but, uh, had that just, had that always kind of the her seeing the demon dogs had been that part of uh, kind of like a hypnagogic state or like a sleep paralysis event for her? Before? I don't think it was because I, I I don't you know I I I think this was her her sort of I don't know if it was her only hypnagogic thing but it's not it's not something that she has a, a lot of like hypnagogic events, um, so. I think it was more like either just bad dreams as a, as yeah. a child or, or, or something like that. I mean, th- th- you know, this started when she was a very, very young child. And for whatever reason, she just, you know, didn't like that room and, and would always tell stories. Even even when uh, when I first met her, you know, as we, we were in our uh, well, she would have been 16. I was I was 20. We were not dating then. We were just friends. Um, but uh, I remember her even then telling me those stories. Huh. I'm just wondering if it could be a portal situation. Yeah, this... I, I don't. I, I don't. I don't think she would say so. I mean, like yeah. again, she's she's pretty skeptical, right? Um, I, you know, I don't think she would say that. But uh, even to this day, I know she she doesn't particularly like that room. She, she you know, 
And Thunder Perfect Mind probably with by Nurse with Wound probably wasn't the best thing to listen to to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah, she credits a lot of that, especially like like I said that the the second track I think is colder still, and it has sort of a, a trance like drum beat that runs through it. And she credits that as sort of um, maybe putting her in in the state, uh, you know, subconsciously uh, to to experience that. Don't you make kind of similar music to to that? I have, yeah, yeah. The the wilderness guys thing, I I would put yeah. uh, that I recently I would put in the same same sort of uh, general category. That's the stuff that intro the the intro to um, uh, strange familiars, right? Is that part yeah. of that? Yeah, which I've been told is um, is devil music <laughs> 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 because because I put reverb on the guy's voice, I made him sound evil. <laughs> well, that reverb will do it. Yeah, uh, anytime but, you want to do that, you got to get some back masking in there too, Tim. Yeah, yeah. Well, that that would you know, whew, I'm, we might summon demons then. So the the final question is, well, we're gonna we're gonna put it up for a vote. Well, we'll get your get your input on this. Who would win in a fight, Flannel Man or Slender Man? Oh, Flannel Man, definitely. D- dude's got the power of grunge behind him and an axe. <laughs> <laughs> so so he could just chop off sli- what like like keep chopping off Slenderman's arms and well, I, I think he 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 he'd probably put his 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 hand on a on a Nirvana album and say that the power of Kurt compels you. And, <laughs> and, <laughs> his angsty attitude. <laughs> oh um, man. Yeah, who knows? I mean I, I don't know. I mean I know how Flannel Man or uh, Slender Man is they say he's responsible for, you know, I guess in influencing people in bad ways, but does the entity itself attack people? Yeah, I don't know. He probably doesn't have to. Yeah. So, I just yeah. if if there was going to be an entity battle between the two, I just you know, I'm just you, you know, I'm going with in Flannel Man just because he's more obscure and and has more to do with my podcast. So plus he could transform <laughs> himself into a Bigfoot that's wearing flannel. That's right, and then or, he could probably really kick some ass. Or just whistle and Babe the Blue Ox will come running. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tim, uh, Slender Man doesn't have giant blue pets, so that's you know, true. That's true. Another point for Flannel Man. <laughs> well, Tim, uh, before we let you go, what's next for you? What What are you working on now? What can we expect from you? Uh, well, more Strange Familiars at strangefamiliars.com. Uh, every other week, new episode, hopefully. Um, and uh, I'm working on a couple books, more, more uh, historical Bigfoot stuff, and uh, a follow-up to Beyond the Seventh Gate. Well, thank you so much, Tim. Was there anything that you wanted to ask, Rob? About Flannel Man before we go? <laughs> no, I think we covered Flannel Man pretty good. It's good to have <laughs> yeah, you back, I mean, though, Tim. I, I feel like I don't, you know, there's not a, a lot of answers. The only thing I could do yeah. is, is kind of tell the stories and, and tell what people have experienced. But I, I do think it's very interesting. It's, you know, whatever's happening. Like I said, we seem to have struck a, a chord with this that people are responding to. So if, if anybody out there has Flannel Man stories, uh, hit me up. At, you can find my contact info at strangefamiliars.com. We're definitely collecting the stories. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, if anybody's out there, hit Tim up. He's the the now expert on Flannel Man. <laughs> Besides Flannel Man himself. Yes, I'm going to see if I can get an exclusive Flannel Man interview. <laughs> <laughs> 
right, Tim. Stay on the okay. line for us. We're going to close out this section. And guys, we'll be back with Nick Redfern to talk about Slender Man on Conspiracy Normal. <laughs> Hey guys, back on Conspiranormal, and we have the guest on the line, but first, Luke has somehow miraculously appeared, uh, <laughs> yeah, dressed only- in flannel. I don't know what's going on. It's a little weird. <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing my flannel today, but- You I gotta mean, fly your flannel, man. I have to show up an hour late. I mean, that's part mm-hmm. of- uh, that's part of why I'm so dope on this show, because I always show up late, and it's like, oh man, you know, building the suspense. Oh, he's here. That's that's part of being Luke. That's just part of <laughs> who you are. So we have Nick Redford on, and I think this is probably like the 1,667th time that we've had you on, Nick. Uh, welcome back to Conspiracy Normal. Oh, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on again. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we're going to talk about your book about Slender Man, but uh, we started talking a little bit before in our kind of like off-the-air banter, you'd written a little thing about the movie Threads. And uh, you just bought it on Blu-ray, which I understand that it just released on Blu-ray. But uh, this is a little light light viewing for you. <laughs> so <laughs> these guys, I don't think, know what that movie is. I don't think a lot of people know about it. No, they probably don't. Um, Threads was a, a BBC production that um, it, it, it had a brief um, VHS um, release in the early 90s, I think, something like that. But then that kind of just stalled, and you can you can still get them now, obviously, but, I mean, nobody's that enthusiastic about getting VHS tapes, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. And um, I mean, the so, in other words, you actually didn't have a, a full release as such until um, just a few weeks ago um, when finally a Blu-ray was put out of it. And uh, it didn't even have a DVD, it just went straight from nothing to Blu-ray. Um, but basically, it was um, a movie that was first shown um, in the UK in 1984. And it, as I said, it was a BBC production. And it was about a, it's a sort of like docudrama kind of thing um, about a nuclear, well, not a nuclear attack on the UK, but a third world war. But it was told from the perspective of two families in the north of England. And the, t- the term threads, uh, why it was called threads, it was because the whole point of the show was to show how all the threads of society would collapse in a nuclear war. Now, <clears throat> in that period, sort of early to mid-80s, there were quite a few, uh, like a handful of um, movies and productions made around the issue of nuclear war. I think the big one over here was um, The Day After. Right. Uh, and there were a couple of other ones as well. And um, back, you know, go back to the 60s, you got things like Dr. Strangelove and things like that. Um, but I think why um, Threads really had a sort of struck a chord massively with the British population was one, because it wasn't a movie about, 
you know, where you see shots of the troops, you know, thousands of troops fighting each other, Russians, Americans, British, etc. What it was, <clears throat> I said it was based around the fam uh, two families, um, and it starts sort of a couple of weeks or so before the war begins, and then up until, the, you know, the point when the, the war takes place and it's over in like, you know, half a day and the world or the Northern Hemisphere is just destroyed. And I think um, I think it was sort of the graphic nature and the complete sense of, I mean, on a, you know, just, a, you know, just, just a kind of an angle of, you know, just complete disaster and just no turning back. You know, there was no kind of, um, you know, Hollywood starlets coming out of the rubble with a makeup and lipstick on. <laughs> yeah, perfect, yeah. You know, it was just a movie where, you know, back then, I think the well, today the British population is about 60 million. I think back then it was about 52. And they talked about how, you know, it's like a docudrama where it's all actors, but in between certain scenes, they'd flash on like statistics and how, in the first um, wave of the attack of the 52 million um, people, it was something like 25 million were dead instantly from the explosions. Um, 10 million would, would be dead within minutes from burns. Um, within two weeks, um, you know, another 10 million would be dead from radiation and starvation, etc., etc. And then you get to the point where sort of five years after, ten years after, because it jumps forward, um, the, the the British population has dropped from 52 million to three or four, you know, 48 million dead. Um, and the movie just, it's it's just, I mean, it's a really well-made one, but it's it demonstrates that in a real nuclear war, you know, hiding under the staircase or something like that, you know, is not going to work. It's... And right. the BBC, to their credit, made a production that demonstrated in a real nuclear war there would be no hope, you know. And, and I think people hadn't seen that before, you know. Like most shows on that kind of thing, at least, you know, you would have some inkling that, oh, maybe we'll be okay, we can start over. With Threads, it was like, no, just everywhere is the world is in ruins, you know. Yeah, there was, you know, 20 years before that, there was the war game, yeah. which BBC actually refused to show, and that's another well-made one. That's oh. kind of like the first of that kind of genre that kind of showed how things might actually be. Well, you're right. I mean, for its time, the war game, which was a black and white uh, movie, well, sort of, again, like a docudrama that came out with the BBC in the mid-1960s. I mean, that had shots of, um, you know, like little children having their eyeballs melted because they happened to look a bit looking at the sky when the blast went off from one particular bomb, you know. And, um, and I mean, it was, I mean, you might kind of, you know, if you look at TV today, you might think it's, you know, Threads is kind of a bit quaint and the spe there's no CGI. Sure. But, you know, said from the perspective of just two families and how you could relate to what would you do in their position. And, you know, and you had shots, which some which were quite graphic and some you wouldn't expect. I mean, one of the shots, you see the bomb go off and then it pans quickly to this woman standing in the street, just staring up. And yeah. she's just like, she's like uncontrollably paying herself, you know, which most of us would probably do if you saw like a 
six-mile-high mushroom cloud suddenly in the sky, you know. And it kind of, people were like, wow, that's sort of really kind of hammers it home, you know what I mean? But just kind of little things like that that people remembered, you know, and, um, you know, people throwing up and just in fear, you know. How did it how did it affect people there like when it was shown? What do you remember oh, well, about I it mean, at the I time? Still, I can remember. I mean, it was like, you know, a huge percentage of the British population watched it because it was, you know, it was advertised on TV like for a month before saying, you know, we're going to put this show out and it's going to be very graphic and, you know, it's not going to be a nice show, but it is going to be a realistic show and you know, so literally, I think like half the population watched it. It was you had a huge audience. I mean, I remember at work the next day. I was um, working in a, a in a warehouse at the time as a forklift driver, and I remember I, I can still actually remember um, being in the in the warehouse, and everybody who came in, they were like, "Did you watch the Threads last night?" And everybody was like, "Yeah." And you know, I think everybody kind of had half sort of uh, sleepless nights, you know, the night <laughs> after, because as I said, it was there was none of this, you know, Brad Pitt saves the day kind of thing, you know. <laughs> yeah, and, yeah. Uh, it was just what it would really be like, but probably not even, you know, they couldn't even make it as worse as it would be. And and of course, the, I think it finishes thirteen years after the war, and of course, all the kids who've been born. Since the war, they can't read and write. They all talk this weird kind of stilted, stunted English um, where, you know, they know sort of 50 words or something. Um, and everywhere's in ruins and, um, you know, everybody's lifespan who survived, you know, they're um, they're not going to live more than sort of 40. And they've all got cataracts on the eyes because the ozone layer has been damaged and the radiation's coming through. So, you know, it's it's sort of a a jolly old movie for a Saturday <laughs> night. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's one of those movies where you really think, you know, should I just slash my wrists now and get it <laughs> right, done? With right, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I I remember my parents watching it back in when I was a kid, and like, because um, those movies just like scared the hell out of me back then. Yeah. And I, I watched it maybe like, I don't know, seven or eight years ago. And I was like, damn, this is pretty, like, <laughs> this is pretty brutal. I mean, it's like the day after on yeah. crack. Like, you could watch the day after and be like, eh, after watching Threads. Which, incidentally, yeah, like, very, yeah. the, incidentally, the same guy that directed, he that did that, he literally went on to do The Bodyguard. <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, that's right. That's right. <laughs> I remember that, yeah. So it was like kind of uh, like what, you know? <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think it's sort of the power of the movie is that you can ask anybody, you know, in the UK really, sort of forty-five upwards, and they'll all remember Threads, you know, if they watched it. It's like one of those things you never sort of, you know, or certain scenes you just never forget, you know. Yeah, like I I never heard of this before now, but I I read it, um Hiroshima when I was in middle school, <clears throat> and it's uh yeah obviously very similar kind of thing, but like I there was a 
it's kind of a, uh, it's a powerful, important kind of a, a thing to experience, but I don't think I'd ever read it again. Uh-huh. I don't think I, that's kind of what I'm getting about this. Like, if I watched it, I, I'm sure I'd appreciate it, and I'm sure it would be, you know, good well, for a lot of people you know, to maybe. experience in a sense, but not the kind of thing that maybe you'd want to watch, you know, on the weekend with your buddies. No, I mean... I mean, I would encourage people to watch Threads because it, it really is a good, solid, thought-provoking graphic look as to what a real nuclear war would be like. Right. But it's it's not it's one you get satisfaction from, I guess, from knowing what would happen. But I can't say it's entertainment. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's like it's like, geez, you know, um, it's just. You can almost, you can actually kind of feel the, like the anxiety growing in you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I, I felt that way watching the movie The Road. Have you seen that? Oh yeah, no, that's Luke, a really Luke's good seen one that. as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah that was good. With uh, Vigo, is it Mort- Vigo Morton? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a great, yeah, it's right, a great yeah. movie, but I never want to see it again. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like <laughs> it's just, it's just so damn bleak. <laughs> I mean, the one thing that is actually quite relevant in today's world, you know, all these worries about nuclear war and sort of, uh, you know, limited nuclear wars and all this kind of thing, it really demonstrates, you know, all this stuff about, you know, you hear certain people saying that, you know, we can we can fight a limited nuclear war or tactical nukes. Well, right. in my view, you know, as soon as one nuke is used... It's going to be like all the rules are off the table, and if somebody's used a nuke, somebody else will use one, and it'll just grow and grow and grow. And with the you know the the sheer power of those of those bombs today, I mean people don't realise. I mean I live um, sort of I, li- I live about tw- thirty miles from downtown Dallas. I was actually looking at some of the statistics about you know t- with today's uh, bombs and. Um, because I was actually going to make that article on threads longer, but in the end I decided not to. I decided to just keep it on the on the movie itself. But I was looking up the statistics, and some of the you know the power of these atomic bombs now. As I said, I live 30 miles from Dallas, and they were saying you know you pick your average city, and for like five miles in a circle, everything is literally vaporized. There's nothing left. You know, not even rubble, not people, nothing, no car, just dust. And then after that, you've got like 10, 15 miles of just raging firestorms, you know, like 200 feet high. And 30 miles away where I am, you get serious flash burns. Yeah. And you imagine that's one city, and then you've got another city 30 miles away and another 40 miles away. And then you've got two military bases nearby, which are also going to be targeted. When you look at it like that, you know, you we don't stand a chance, really. It's not like you've seen these old propaganda black and white shots, you know, where the alarm goes off and all the kids get under the desk or whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah, ridiculous. duck and cover. Yeah. Duck and cover, that's right. I mean, <laughs> you might as well, you know, I mean, if, you want to, if you're going to survive, it's going to be pure chance. And, of course, the big question is, well, would you even want to survive, you know? Yeah, there's a website out there that you can go to and it'll like it'll it'll you can pick your city and you can pick the type of of nuclear weapon that you want to detonate and where you want to detonate it and it'll show like all those ranges of what of what happens. Yeah. It's pretty it's pretty crazy. <laughs> yeah, people don't realize yeah. you know how powerful they are. I mean, I don't even 
even just getting, you know, statistics, I don't think we could even imagine it until it if it actually ha- until it actually happens. Right. Know? I think it would just be a series of craters. I think that's all that would be left. <laughs> yeah, and point. of course, you know, the there's all the aftermath. I mean, you know, you can't turn your taps on and use the water because that water supply is almost inevitably going to be saturated in radiation. You know, if you haven't sort of prepared in advance and got three or four months' worth of water and food. Yeah. You know, and that's to say that, who's to say your roof's not blown off your house, you know, and it's just radiation just pouring through. I mean, there's all those kind of things to remember as well. Yeah. Well, on to happier subjects, such as Slender Man. (laughs) 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 You know, this makes Slender Man just look like like a little wimp. Like an yeah, ice cream truck driver. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They're, well, they're kind of creepy anyway, so that's not a good relation. There's true fear, and then there's, 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 like, there's like stuff we really sca- we should be really scared about. <laughs> but uh, So let's talk about this. So you put this book out on, on The Slender Man, and you know, this is something that we've, we've talked about on the show, uh, mostly as it deals kind of with like how – People seeing weird stuff kind of mirrors popular culture. You know, we talked about this when the whole phantom clown thing was going on, which is oh, yeah. Rob's favorite subject. He he loves clowns. I love that you keep bringing it back up, Adam. And uh, <laughs> oh, anything for you, Rob. And so it, you know, so Slenderman seems to be kind of like this type of thing where you have this. Fictional character, obviously fictional character that has been put yeah. into fiction, into popular culture, but people start to actually see it. So, what's kind of the let's kind of let's talk about the origins of Slender Man, and yeah. you know where you know the, where it, Slender Man actually kind of comes from. Well, what happened was that in the summer of two thousand and nine, a website called Something Awful had this contest to see who could come up with the sort of creepiest creature for the internet era and um lots of people submitted you know um sort of uh um you know manipulated photographs with strange creatures in and you know most of them are sort of black and white to sort of get a uh, sort of a spooky atmospheric uh appearance and one of the people who came up with an idea was a guy named eric nudson and eric nudson is the guy who created the slender man and he had this image of a like an eight to nine foot tall humanoid figure in a black suit, uh, white shirt, black tie, and a completely faceless face. No eyes, no nose, no mouth, no ears, just sort of vague shadows where they should be. And these sort of uh, octopus-like tentacles coming out of its back. And by his own admission, Eric Knudsen said he was inspired by a lot of different things, like, for example, the the stories of Stephen King, um, um, the works of H.P. Lovecraft, which probably inspired sort of these um, Cthulhu-like tentacles coming out of its back. Um, and also various other horror uh, phenomena and stories, and, and a creepy early Man in Black-type character that uh, surfaced in the 1940s in the town of um, Mattoon, Illinois, known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, which is kind of like this weird character who would sort of invade people's homes and <laughs> dressed in a dark suit. So he put all these together, and 
essentially sort of photoshopped a couple of photographs which had a bunch of kids in the pictures with this creepy slender man in the black suit kind of watching them from the shadows and the trees. And for reasons that aren't really known, but, you know, it's probably more than anything else, the imagery, um, everybody latched on to Eric Knudsen's slender man um, imagery. And literally within weeks, no more than a week or two, um, you had uh, forums, chat rooms, um, Wikipedia pages, um, even a very popular online show, a fictional show called Marble Hornets, which was like a found footage type thing that went on, you know, for literally dozens and dozens of episodes. And... Um, and the audience for the Slenderman just grew and grew and grew. I mean, if you if you um, go on, um, say, Google search and you just type in Slenderman, there are more than seven million results just, you know, with, with the Slenderman word in them. Um, and so it really took off massively. And at the time, you know, I followed it because I recognized the... You know, the imagery of the Slender Man was quite like the Men in Black. And, you know, I've written several books on the Men in Black mystery. So, you know, I did take notice of it. But what really made me take notice was when a few months later, people started to claim that they'd seen the Slender Man in the real world. You know, not just kind of checking it out on the Internet and looking at photographs and paintings that people had made or you know, or creating fictional backstories, you know, in some uh, chat room or whatever. But people were claiming to have seen the Slender Man, you know, in their bedroom in the dead of night when they're in kind of a state of sleep paralysis. Um, or mm. they'd feel compelled to look out the window in the middle of the night and see him staring up. So then that kind of really got my attention from the perspective of, you know, how and possibly under what circumstances the Slender Man could have kind of gone from a fictional creation to something definitively paranormal. Let's talk about some of the, uh, about this idea, the, the whole idea of a tulpa. And uh, Timothy Renner mentioned this in the, because we were, as I was telling you, we were talking about people seeing this flannel man character. And, you know, the whole idea of a tulpa is a very interesting one. Um, and what is a tulpa? And also, you, you talk about uh, Alexandra David Neal, this book yeah. about uh, being in the Far East. I, th- I think some Buddhist, uh, like a Buddhist temple, and some of her interactions. So the whole idea of a tulpa is it's a very fascinating one. Yeah, well, well tulpa is a Tibetan word, which the the closest um, translation in English is thought form. Now, basically, the concept is that if you focus your mind on something um, so deeply and intensely and you're thinking about it, obsessing about it, dreaming about it, you get your mind into an altered state and you kind of get into that mode week after week, maybe even month after month, that you can, in a very strange way, kind of supernaturally give birth to a fictional entity. In other words, the idea is that the the human mind has the ability to essentially externalize a a dream or something, you know, in the imagination where it strides out of the mind almost in sort of a semi-spectral, semi-physical form. In other words, you know, what you what you think about, you give birth to. 
And as I said, it's a controversial theory, but thought form is probably the best terminology to use. Now, the story you talked about with Alexandra David Neal, she was a woman who had a really kind of cool and adventurous life. She actually lived to be almost 101. Oh, and wow. she was kind of like a female Indiana Jones. You know, she would uh, travel around and have adventures and ride about them and get into scrapes and all sorts of things. But she was like, you know, a real definitive character kind of person. And um, when she was in Tibet, she heard of the concept of the Tulpa and she was informed by people who were skilled in creating them of how to do this. And so she thought she would have, you know, have an experiment and try and do it. And she tried to focus on the image of like a, like a chubby Friar Tuck character from, from Robin Hood. Oh. And um, so that's what she focused on. And she visualized his appearance, sort of like a round face, like a monk's kind of haircut, a long brown cloak, and and like as I said, like a chubby body, and she literally for weeks, not you know just for a few hours, for weeks and weeks, she fixated on this image, almost in like an altered state, you know, like a self-hypnotic state, just concentrating, concentrating, dreaming of it, thinking of it, and she said the day came when at one point she could vaguely see something shadowy at the corner of her eye. And she noted in, in uh, one of her writings as to how she was told that um, if, you, you're, if you're involved in the paranormal and you start to see little shadowy things darting around, you know, you think you've seen a rat run across the floor or something, but there obviously wasn't a rat. She said that's a sign that the paranormal world and the regular world are kind of crossing over. And mm. um, so she... Um, she, as I said, imaged this Friar Tuck character, and she said that eventually, you know, it started to take on a more of a solid form where she could see it, you know, perhaps for a few minutes at a time. And then eventually, she said, the time ultimately came when it was so um, formed that it was hard to tell the difference between it and a real person. Now, what happened, and this often happened in a lot of these stories, is that the tulpa, the thought form, becomes sort of self-aware and tries to break away from the creator, kind of like um, Dr. Frankenstein and the monster. You know, he unleashes this thing that um, causes massive problems, so to speak. Um, and she said that over time, the chubby, jolly um, um, monk, as she described him, you know, this sort of... She visualized him with, like, a big grinning face. She said... His face, you know, the, the grin went away, the smiles went away, and his face took on like a sly, um, almost like a dangerous appearance. And his chubby face became leaner, he, he had cheekbones, and the, he, she just developed this kind of um, atmosphere of, of terror and negativity around her because he was turning the tables on her and a case of, you know, trying to destroy the creator. And she said that she went to one of the people who told her to do this and who said that, well, this is what very often happens. And then she had to go through another process, which was taught to her, to try and deconstruct the tulpa. Um, and she said eventually she did that. Part of it was done by trying to blot it out of your mind. So in other words, the less you think about it, and the less you believe in it, the theory is that it starts to literally dissolve and fragment away. But of course, the problem is 
how do you force yourself to forget about it? You know, it's not the easiest thing to do to forget something. Um, so that that basically is the concept of the uh, the Tulpa. But when it comes to the Slender Man, you imagine if Alexandra David Neal could do this and she was just one person. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, there are tens and tens of thousands of kids, and teenagers and adults who right. have an obsession with the Slender Man. And, you know, I'm not incorrect when I say an obsession. You know, a lot of people really do kind of get pulled into this massively. So if you imagine thousands or tens of thousands of people all doing what Alexandra David Neal did, whether deliberately or just because they're thinking about it all the time, you can well understand how and why people might be seeing the Slender Man all around the world because, you know, it's sort of spreading like a like a virus, you know. Yeah, the internet would just increase that exponentially. Mm. And, you know, there's also, too, the Philip experiment as well, um, where yeah. they basically they create... They, they, what, what was the university that's, that did that? Um, I forget the actual university, but basically what it was, it was a, it was a very interesting experiment in, and again, kind of like... Um, um, like trying to create a tulpa in a way, but this was actually a, a Canadian program where you had this group of people, a paranormal group, and what they did was to try and create, for all intents and purposes, a, a, a living entity which actually never lived. And they called him Philip, and asked him, they gave him a backstory of having grown up in England several centuries ago. And he was married, had this large house, and he had a mistress on the side who died tragically, and he killed himself. And that is basically the story, you know, fictionalized story. But the group then essentially tried to do what so many other other people did, and that was to try and create Philip by focusing on him, on how how they envisaged him looking, um, how you know, the, the backstory of this tragic life and so forth. And then it turned up that when they were doing seances, that they would actually get messages from, from Philip, who actually never really existed at all. Right. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't a case with Philip that they saw him. So it's quite, it's slightly different yeah, to your average yeah. tulpa, but it, he would get, they would get responses kind of that you would get, um, you know, at a seance. But the concept was almost identical in the sense that you had this group of people communing and contacting and speaking with, in a way, um, a sort of a you know a centuries-old English lord, if you like, um, who did not exist, had never existed, but yet in a strange way now did exist and was now, you know, communicating with them and also actually began to add in parts of the story of his life which they hadn't created but he in his life if you can call it a life started to fill the gaps to where wow. you know it was it had gone again beyond the you know the um, expectations of the group yeah that's a strange story it is and, and we have these antecedents you, you did mention the mad gasser uh, but you also talk about, uh, you know, the men in black. And there was another interesting one. Where you kind of link uh, Slender Man a little bit to uh, to Lovecraft, too. 
Well, yeah, I mean, this is where it gets interesting because, you know, Eric Knudsen, without doubt, created the Slender Man. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, we know his um, primary inspirations as well. But, um, as I said, he was definitely inspired by Lovecraft, by his own admission. And I do think, you know, it's almost certain that these, you know, robbery tentacles coming out of the Slender Man's back obviously kind of echo back to things like, you know, Cthulhu and these strange monsters that, you know, sort of robbery uh, octopus type things, you know, that Lovecraft in the real world, you know, had a complete hatred and fear of, you know, he just kind of just didn't like things like that, but he didn't stop him writing about them. Now, there's kind of a, a school of thought which believes that um, that Lovecraft, you know, with all these stories of strange monsters and ancient cities and, you know, incredible places, magical worlds, there's this school of thought that he didn't actually create them himself, but that when he was sleeping, that he literally sort of astrally travelled and may have seen some of these locations and these entities, these creatures, and assumed that this was just a regular kind of dream or series of dreams, because a lot of the things he created did come from his dream world. But so people have suggested, well, what if it wasn't just a real, uh, just a dream world? What if it was sort of a real kind of multi-dimension, something along those lines? And so, in other words, Lovecraft may have been inspired to write fiction via something that possibly he didn't realize was actually real. And people have suggested that that may have happened with Eric Knudsen, that yes, he created the Slender Man, but the fact that he was inspired by a number of entities in the supernatural world, like the Men in Black, the Mad Gasser, um, the Mothman phenomenon, and several other things, people have begun to wonder if, you know, he too had tapped into something that wasn't just the imagination, which is, you know, kind of parallels exactly what people have said about Lovecraft, the idea of kind of channeling and downloading information and using it in whatever way and not realizing that it isn't just a thought or it isn't just a dream. It's actually something much more and, uh, you know, there's no doubt that, you know, Lovecraft came up with some of the most sort of iconic imagery and um, tales and, and even a style of writing as well. You know, everything about it. He had a lot of flaws, um, no doubt about that, uh, in his character. But he was also someone who, you know, changed the, the face of sort of horror fiction, really. There's a, there's an old funeral home. I think we might have mentioned this on the last show. I can't remember. There's an old funeral home here in Nashville, and uh, it was owned by a lady that was married to one of the top Freemasons here in Nashville. And there's like an actual like window on this funeral home that has this weird like eye thing in the middle, and it has all these tentacles like coming out from it. It's very strange. And, and I have to wonder, you know, like it, may, it really made me think of something that Lovecraft would come up with. And I have to wonder if maybe, and they, they hold, they held seances in this, in this house. And I have to wonder if there was any kind of link to Lovecraft and spiritualism, whether he was maybe had been exposed to that early in his life. Well, I mean, he, he always said or publicly at least, and in letters that he didn't have you know, too much of a real belief in a 
in a real paranormal world. Yeah. But then again, you know, who knows what goes on be, you know, behind closed doors in somebody's mind, you know. I mean, right. um, you, you can never say for sure. It's kind of like people say, you know, you got a, I know, you got a axe murderer next door. What do they always say? Oh, he was such a nice guy. I would never have thought that. You know what I mean? <laughs> That, that's sort of what the typical response. So you can never really judge people's characters, I think, you know, to the ultimate degree. And maybe, you know, maybe that does apply to Lovecraft. Maybe he was sort of, didn't want to even address the possibility that he was interacting with something else. I mean, one of the things that happened, which is kind of really weird, is that um, Lovecraft would have these really kind of uh, traumatic dreams with these things, and in these dreams, he would see these things that he called night gaunts. And they were sort of these humanoid flying entities which would scoop him out of his bed in the dead of night when he was dreaming, take him high in the sky, and then drop him. Oh. You know, and as he was about to hit the floor, then he, or the ceiling of the roof, whatever, you know, he would suddenly wake up in a state of terror. Now, he described the night gaunts. Um, you know, physically they weren't like us, but what's important is that they're face was completely faceless no eyes no nose no mouth right. so you know chances are that's where that aspect of the slender man came from now what's intriguing is that um uh, lovecraft's mother also began to see these night gaunts but on occasion when she was awake not in the dream state so that's intriguing it's almost as if you know if if Lovecraft really was in touch with something and it's then spilled over to his own mother, then you have to wonder, well, maybe maybe that theory is correct, that, you know, perhaps a lot of, um, you know, horror fiction or graphic fiction may actually have been inspired by glimpses into other realms that right. weren't actually nightmares or dreams. I mean, you know, to sort of... Um, sort of paraphrase the you know, the Matrix movie, the first one where, you know, I think it's uh, Morpheus, the character, says to Neo something like, have you ever had a dream that's so graphic and so real that if you never woke up, how would you know it was a dream? You know, you wouldn't. But that's the only reason we know dreams aren't are just dreams, because we wake up in the morning. But imagine if you never woke up, you would not be able to distinguish between the dream and what isn't a dream. So... You know, I think I've, I'm sort of a big believer that, you know, dreams aren't just dreams. You know, you have prophetic dreams, dreams of the future, you know, people's... I had a dream that it was nothing, um, you know, amazing or out of this world or anything. But I had once, just once, I had a really weird dream, which I will, you know, I can put hand on heart and say, the thing that I dreamed identically happened about nine months later uh -huh. and it was just it was something that lasted for maybe two or three minutes but it was so definitive that it it was not you know a dream it really was as i see it like a, a brief glimpse into the future so i've had those things like that yeah things like that made me believe that yeah, we all dream, and sometimes we do dream of things that happen in the day, so that is a dream. But sometimes a dream just doesn't seem like a dream, and when it is like that, there's very often like some sort of, 
important aspect to it or something that really makes you keep thinking about it for days or weeks, you know. Luke had a dream very recently. This is a good place for him to say this. Um, <laughs> this is interesting. Yeah, I I was in the I often have dreams of the farm that I grew up on, even though I've been away from it from all these years. I've, you know, I've been in Nashville for over ten years, but uh, I was in the stream back at the farm, and I was wearing a cloak and had a wand. But uh, anyway, <laughs> like I, I look down the stream and uh, I see this carriage, and I approach it like like an old farm carriage, you know, with the wagon wheels, everything. And I, I approached it, and there's two, two like beings sitting in there, and they 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 look like they're made out of dirt or clay, and they're swaying and they're moving like cobras, and they've got chapped, like uh, busted lips, and little squinty like reptilian eyes, and they're like swaying around, and they got their little hands out on the table between them inside the carriage. <laughs> That's wow. weird. Yeah. That's really weird. <laughs> Adam liked that story when I, I told him earlier today. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Luke drew actually. He drew a picture of it, and I'll, oh, cool. I'll, I'll put it up on the. I'll, I'm going to put that up on the Conspiracy Normal website on the well our Facebook page. All right, but um, yeah. So it, I mean, it, it is interesting these kind of these kind of figures that will that we will see in our dreams. You know, you also talk about in the book. You, you talk about popular culture and movies. Um, you talk about dark mm. dark city. Is one that you know the, the, the kind of very slender man looking characters. Uh, one that I thought of was Jacob's Ladder. If you've ever seen that yeah, I one, I saw that when it first came out. But I, I really don't remember much of it now. Yeah, it? there's there's these kind of like faceless beings that kind of are in that. That it's very strange. Yeah, I was too young when I watched that. I don't. It's remember. freaky. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's a freaky movie. Um, you, you talk about too, like there's a story that really got to me <laughs> in the book. This is more like about the men in black, but like the, they said that there was this one, uh, that, that they, these men in black came and they got a job somewhere and they had like these really strange elongated fingers, which is very slender man esque. Yeah. Well, this story actually, this is important because one of the things I talk about in the book is that sort of pre-existing reports of the slender man before the Slenderman was created in 2009. Now, the term Slenderman did not exist before 2009. Um, but creatures or entities like the Slenderman, you know, they go back a long, long way. Now, the story that you're talking about um, was yeah. actually published in the early 1950s by a UFO researcher named Harold T. Wilkins. And he um, was someone who, like a lot of people in that era... You know, this wasn't long after the whole Man in Black mystery started with people like Albert Bender and Gray Barker. And um, and for people who don't who are listening who might not realize, you know, the, the real Man in Black are nothing like Will Smith and Tommy Lee Jones, you know. Right. In the movies, they're sort of agents of some sort of secret agency, you know, and they kind of look like FBI, etc. But the real Men in Black are sort of very creepy, pale, skinny, cadaverous. Sometimes people, this word gets really weird, people sometimes say they kind of smell of dirt, which is kind of like really weird. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, they kind of look like a, a cross between an old school vampire and a, mm -hmm. you know, a, a G-man as they used to be termed. But they're clearly not from the government. But 
um, Harold Wilkins talked about getting this one story of this these creepy these two creepy characters, very tall, skinny, and these long um sort of almost sort of tentacle like fingers, you know, flickering and you know, moving around and um far longer than they should be. Uh, dressed in black and, you know, they didn't look well. Um and you can find a lot of stories like that, um, you know, that's that predate the Slender Man. And of course when you find that not only did these stories predate the Slender Man, but we can prove that they were spoken about before the Slender Man came around. You know, to me at least, not to everybody, to me at least, you know, that is an important factor, you know, in terms of asking a, a legitimate question, namely, which did, really did come first, you know, the Slender Man, or was it the fictional version, or was the fictional version, you know, inspired unknowingly by the pre-existing one. It's, you know, it's incredibly difficult to say, but, um, you know, it's um, it's just a weird phenomenon, you know, when you think you've got it sort of locked down and nailed to the floor, something else occurs, you know, which kind of throws you off course. Yeah, very, very, very much so. Um, have you ever heard the Strangler song, Men in Black? Yeah, that's a yeah. creepy song. <laughs> yeah, it is. That's weird. Well, I mean, everything Slenderman. Excuse me, with the Men in Black. Yeah, he's creepy. I mean, I've got stories where people were visited by the Men in Black, not after seeing a UFO, as you would expect from the movie, but when they've been using Ouija boards mm-hmm. um, and things like that, and people who've fallen sick after the MIB have been close to them. You know, it's like they've been supernaturally infected or something. Well, some of the stories that John Kill writes about in Mothman Prophecies yeah, are just gonna bring up. Sp- spooky as hell. Yeah. You know, like they don't like they don't know how to eat and they don't know how to use a fork and like just the weird stuff like that <laughs> that we well, talked about the, in another show. Well, one of the theories is that the some people think that the men in black or some of them might be thought forms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, not necessarily created by us, but almost like, um, kind of like the, the agents, as they're called, in um, The Matrix, you know, where you've got the men in black characters in in the in the Matrix movies. And one of the theories is that what if we're living in some sort of Matrix-type world and the men in black are kind of like, um, you know, a virus or, you know, uh, an antivirus released into our world, you know, when something has gone wrong with the Matrix and, you know, they have to patch it up so we don't find out what's going on. And to the point where, you know, they are kind of like, um, you know, we think we're living in the real world. What if reality isn't quite like as as it should be or seems to be? And so, in other words, we suddenly get these MIB turn up out of nowhere on people's doorsteps and they always perform the same tasks over and over again to silence people, um, you know, to intimidate them, to stare at them across the couch, you know. Um, but it's, but it's, as you said, it's as if they don't know what they're doing. And that's kind of an intriguing aspect to all this. It is as if they're not fully self-aware, but they could be some sort of highly advanced program inserted into the Matrix with a degree of self-awareness, like something, you know, we might develop in 20 years from time or whatever, but 
not self-aware enough where they don't stand out. They do stand out as being so weird because they don't act like us, at least not yet, you know. Right. And also, too, Mothman prophecies, um, you know, Indrid Cold is a very, you know, men in, man in black and almost slender man-esque yeah. character as well, which was something like I had never even thought of when you pointed that out. But like, that's, <laughs> that's, that's completely right. Like, and, and the movie oh. really portrays him in that kind of, he's that very elongated form and. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, one of the things also with um, the whole issue of Ingrid uh, Cole, Ingrid Cole, is the fact that um, you have this character where he's constantly got this weird grin on his face. And uh-huh. that ties in with the latter-day thing that people talk about called the grinning man, you know. And um, so a lot of these things, like you have the hat man, which is uh, you have the shadow people, the men in black, the women in black, black-eyed children, uh, the grinning man, Ingrid Cole. If you look at them, in many respects, they're all kind of very similar to each other. You know, they knock on people's doors late at night. They seem human, but not quite human. They're hostile and threatening, and people get a really weird vibe from them. People fall sick. They bake, you know, they sort of break into people's bedrooms in the night or materialize and hover over the bed and drain people of energy like a psychic vampire. And that they all have vaguely similar attributes in varying ways, which again is an interesting thing. Yeah. So this comes down to the the, the main um, focus of the book um, being the, of course, the Slender Man stabbings. Mm-hmm. And this is a story that that I followed pretty closely when it happened, and and I followed it ever since then. Uh, what? What occurred there in Waukesha, Wisconsin, with this with this stabbing? Well, that's a good question. I mean, you know, we know what physically happened. Um, two girls in the city of uh, Waukesha, Wisconsin. Waukesha is a, a suburb of uh, Milwaukee. And on, um, well, <clears throat> basically what happened on May the 31st, 2014, two girls, um, basically attacked uh, one of their former friends. Uh, what happened was the night before, they had a, a, a sleepover. It's one of the girls' birthday. Everything was fine. Had a good time. All had breakfast together the next morning and then went out in, uh, into uh, the town uh, to a local park and the two girls that initiated the attack lured their, again, former friend um, into a wooded area and one of the girls stabbed her 19 times. The other girl couldn't go through with the stabbings at all. Um, and that's why she got a reduced sentence compared to the girl who did the attack. Um, but it was really a miracle that, you know, she survived uh, because a lot of those um, stab wounds um, just missed major arteries and organs, you know, which would have been even worse. Um now, it didn't take the police long to find them because they got it into their heads that basically what they needed to do was sort of have a sacrifice and that would allow them to become, as they called it, the Slender Man's proxy or proxies. And so their plan was after killing their friend and fortu- fortunately she didn't die. So um, what happened was the girls hit the highway, so to speak, walking 
and their plan was to go to a large area of forest where they believed the Slender Man lived in this creepy um, mansion and they were going to live with him. But, of course, it didn't take the police long to find them because they were just literally walking along the side of the road. And the girl uh, who was stabbed, um, you know, she was taken to hospital, obviously, and fortunately she's made a very good recovery. Now, when the police um, were interviewing the, the girls, which is a very delicate uh, process, you know, when you're dealing with children and um, an attack like this, um, it became clear that this was not some sort of ploy for you know, as a, as a means to get off on a murder charge or anything, or attempted murder charge, I should say, or anything like that. They really deeply did believe in the Slender Man and that what they were doing was in the name of the Slender Man and it would be to their benefit. They really did believe all that. And that's why, ultimately, you know, um, although both girls are going to be behind, you know, out, out of... Um, you know, the public for, for decades, literally, you know, they're going to be well, well into middle age before they even get out. But because they were so deeply um, into believing all this, um, that essentially is why um, the, you know, there was this realisation that this, why, why the, the murder charge, if you like, um, uh, or attempted murder charge, was not carried through purely and simply because it was realised that, you know, they, had, they, they were mentally ill to a significant degree. So that's why, you know, they're, they're not in jail as such, but they are, you know, they're not going to be uh, mixing with the public for, for decades now. Um, so what we have there is the, the story, in essence, in, in short term, of the attack. Now, of course... Uh, you know, a police investigation, a court case, is, n is certainly not the place to debate the merits or otherwise of the world of the supernatural. That's not what courts are there for, or the police are there for. They're just there to, you know, follow the letter of the law and determine, you know, what is applicable based on the severity of the attack. Um, but, you know, there is, again, like this angle where it's not quite as black and white. And I'll explain what I mean by that. Um, for example, the mothers of one of the girls said that um, her daughter had seen something just like the Slender Man when she was a very little child. They were 12 when the attack occurred. We're talking about, you know, when they were in single figures. Um, and you know, one of the girls had these sort of marks all over her skin, you know, as if she'd been attacked. Um, but what's really weird is that in Walkershire, where the attack occurred, there have actually been several previous events, which I seriously doubt, you know, the um, the police or anybody involved in the court case would have any knowledge of. And there's no reason why they should. But if you look into it, it does make you wonder if there was more going on. I'll explain what I mean. Um, in 1921... In Walkershire, just a few miles from where the uh, girls did the stabbing, the body of a young boy was found, and he was never identified ever. He was buried locally, and um, but he was. But the press called him Little Lord Fultonroy, which is named after a story of this, a fictional story of this young boy who lives in a like a rich posh family. And the reason they called him that was because when his body was found, he was wearing what were clearly expensive clothes. So that's why they called him 
little Lord Fauntleroy. And as I said, he would be... The murder was never really resolved. There were different theories and suspects, but, it, you know, it was ultimately the case never really went anywhere. And um, But what's intriguing is that a, a psychic um, addressed all this and looked into it and said that she saw the image of this tall, thin man in a black suit carrying him through the woods. Now, that's one example one of the people I interviewed oh. for the book uh, was a guy named Mike Huberty. And Mike um, has ties to Wisconsin. And in the 1990s, a paranormal researcher, I should stress, and he... Um, was yeah, we, we met them parent. over at Paradigm Symposium back in Minneapolis. That's the see oh, you on the other side, yeah. people. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, Mike's a good guy. You know, he's, <laughs> he's um, done a lot of good research. And in the mid-1990s, he and several friends were investigating one um, allegedly haunted area. And while they were there, uh, Mike and two of the girls saw this tall, sort of seven-foot-tall, shadowy, skinny, emaciated <coughs> excuse me, um, figure. And they just fled the area. And the, where they saw this shadowy, tall, skinny thing was just a handful of miles from where the attack occurred. And that's actually just two of a number. Um, there's a couple I didn't even put in the book because, you know, for space reasons with the publisher. Sure. Um, but, you know, I could have gone on and on to make that point. So, you know, the, the, the important thing is whether people view this as being evidence of a paranormal angle or they just view it as coincidence and looking for threads. The fact is there have been weird situations involving killings, you know, one with a, of a little boy, 1921, and then you have Mike um, seeing this tall, slender thing. Everything um, focused on a few miles around the attacks in 2014. Um, it really depends on how you kind of look at it, you know, in terms of do you put a, a paranormal aspect to it or do you just say this was a terrible situation where, you know, fact and fiction and imagination blurred to such a degree that, you know, it ended up in a terrible situation. Whatever, you know, whatever approach you take, it's still a terrible tragedy for for everybody involved, for three families, you know. Um, but in saying that, you know, is there another aspect to it? It really depends on your own perspective as to as to how you kind of look at it, really. Yeah, the the HBO documentary, the Beware the Slender Man, which is really all just about that case. Have you seen yeah. that? Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah, is I mean, you know, because it really makes the case as far as uh, Morgan, who seems to have been that she was the, I think it was Morgan. That she was yeah, the well, kind of like the instigator, and the other girl was just kind of following along. But they've—I yeah. mean—they've proven, I think, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that she is schizophrenic because her father suffers from it. But they were saying stuff in that documentary, like she had, she was talking to invisible people in her in her jail cell, and her and and like she was talking to Snape from Harry Potter, and all just kinds of weird stuff. But the interesting thing about that is that her mother talks about what you just said, like her seeing ghosts and stuff. Well, schizophrenia kind of starts its onset around that age that she committed that crime, but not for a little child. 
So it almost seems like they put somebody would say, well, she's schizophrenic. She's crazy. She sees invisible people, but there may be a lot more to it, as you said. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, I wouldn't want people to think then that they weren't, you know, psychologically disturbed. They clearly were. There's no, there's no, yeah. no one should be any doubt, you know, that they, their minds were not in a great place to put it, you know, at the very, very least. Um, they were, they were psychologically, you know, ill. Um, but as I said, if it was just that, then we could leave it at that. Um, but as I said, if you look around Walkershire, there are so many weird tales of odd murders and situations of these tall figures. As I said, I didn't even include all of them in the book because, you know, the I made the point sort of within with three or four examples altogether. But I mean, I could have included actually I could have included another four, four. I know for sure it's four. Um, but you know, it, I just didn't have space. You know, the, the publisher limits the the length of the books to sixty thousand sure. words, so that's that's where it began and ended, so to speak. But um, you know, again, it, it really does depend on whether you feel there's an external aspect to all this, or it's just some vast coincidence where people just happen to see tall paranormal creatures in Walkershire, which in itself would be bizarre as well. You know. Yeah, and you made the link too to um, the case in New Zealand, <clears throat> which when I heard about that Slenderman, that that stabbing, it really made me think of that because you know you have the movie Heavenly Creatures, the yeah. <clears throat> Peter Jackson movie, and you know that there's there's some weird stuff with that one too. But well, yeah, that's a, a weird story. A lot of people don't know. Heavenly Creatures was a movie um, which basically uh, was based on the lives of two young girls, teenagers, um, who lived in New Zealand. And they had a, a deep bond and they created this sort of uh, fantasy world and fantasy characters. And they were clearly, you know, descending at one point into states of, you know, what were clearly psychological illness. Now, things really um, reached their peak when it, it was the families kind of saw things as, you know, the, the girls were spending too much time together and they viewed it as unhealthy and there were rumors, you know, that they that they were sort of in a relationship and, you know, the theory being that back then people weren't, you know, as um, as we should be, you know, it shouldn't matter what, you know, your, your sexual preference is. But the girls actually denied that. But the important thing is that there was a point where the family did think that might have been the case. And so the plan was to separate them and prevent them from, you know, spending time together to the point of even leaving the country, uh, one of the families. And, of course, that crushed the girls when they found out that was going to happen. And so what they did, they said to the one girl's mother, um, well, if we've got to be split up, we've got to be split up, but can we have one last sort of day together and we'll all just go to the local park? Her mother was fine with that. And what they did, they launched this vicious attack on the mother and basically, you know, smashed her head in. And um, the they were found guilty of the attack, but because of the young age... Um, you know, it, it wasn't a case of, you know, um, 40 years behind bars. But what's really weird is that 
before the attack occurred, um, there was a report of a man in black, a very a tall, thin man in black, in that park before the attack. And we know that because um, a New Zealand-based UFO researcher named Harold Fulton actually sent the details to Harold Wilkins, the guy who investigated that man in black case in the huh. U.S. with the spindly fingers. So the parallel... Now, no one is saying, and I certainly don't say in the book, that the girls saw the Slender Man in New Zealand. They didn't. But the Slender Man or something like it was seen in that park and the story, you know, of two young girls developing a fantasy world and killing someone in a park, you know, and with the girls, you know, they were fixated on the Slender Man, and in the park, people had seen this creepy creature or this creepy entity. You know, there are some really weird coincidences between those two stories which stretch decades and ride around the other side of the planet as well. Yeah, that is that is really, really bizarre. That, that And just that you made that connection... Because, like I said, I mean, the first thing I thought of was heavenly creatures when I when I heard that that happened, and it, it almost seems to me like there's a precursor, like that, that almost seems like like kind of like the uh, the Mothman with the Silver Bridge collapse. A lot of people will say, well, you know, Mothman caused it to happen. No, I think it's more like you know it was a it was a harbinger of something that was happening. And it seems like in that case that, you know, the people see this weird man in black walking around the park and then something horrible happens in the park. Yeah. You know, this I think, you know, with, with the girls, um, you know, um, in, in New Zealand, I mean, there's no doubt, you know, that they were sort of <laughs> living in this deep fantasy world. Right. But I don't think it, it didn't help, you know, the fact that there was this sort of judgmental aspect and you know today thankfully you know nobody cares or nobody should care you know what anybody's sexuality is it doesn't matter um in the slightest and as i said the girls did always deny that but the parents did you know were weren't sure and i think that's why there was this you know that the stress levels kind of grew and grew <coughs> excuse me yeah. grew and grew to the point where when they real <coughs> excuse me when they realized that um they were going to be split up. That's when, you know, things kind of went to an entirely new level. Um, and again, kind of like the Walkershire situation in Wisconsin, you know, do you take the view that this was just two girls attacking one of the mothers, killing her in the park, and it's just coincidence that just before there was this tall, skinny man in black type, who one of the witnesses actually said literally vanished as he literally like dematerialized huh. um so we're not talking about just some creepy character you know pursuing kids or whatever which would have been bad enough in itself but it, this made it sort of even worse so again you know should we insert that aspect of the story into it again it depends you know which side of the coin you're on um certainly harold fulton the new zealand ufo researcher felt it was important enough to send the information to Harold Wilkins, um, who had already started chronicling Men in Black stories. So, you know, again, like with the Walkershire thing, it's either there's a connection or, all in relation to the Slender Man, there's some really seriously odd coincidences going on. 
Yeah, for sure. And there's been other violent acts too. Um, this the stabbing in Waukesha. That wasn't the only one, because you talk about a couple of others in the book. I, I remember hearing about the um, the girl that stabbed her mother for Slenderman. Right. Yep. That was crazy. And the other one I didn't hear about was the Walmart shooting. So that that had like this kind of weird <clears throat> connection too. Oh yeah, well I mean there were several. There was, as you said, you know, there was the the girl who attacked um, her mother. Um, there was another one who burned the house down, and um, you know it, the list kind of went on and on really. And uh, but yeah, the the one you're talking about, the Walmart attack, that was basically uh, an event that occurred um, in Las Vegas, and you had this guy named Jared Miller and his girlfriend who became his wife. They were obsessed um, with the Slender Man and sort of role playing and things like that. And um, this was in June, uh, 20, excuse me, June 2014. And they, um, you know, were as I said, they were obsessed by the Slender Man imagery. And um, hang on, I'm just going to have some <coughs> some water. All good. I probably should have had vodka. For them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but um, but yeah, they um, they were obsessed with the Slenderman imagery and also with the imagery of the Joker from uh, <clears throat> DC Comics. And um, they they had sort of costume parties and they kind of crossed that line in, in the way so many others have, where they kind of took the whole thing not just as a bit of a bit of fun but almost like a way of life and um and to the point where they went on this sort of crazed um shooting spree you know they were kind of ultra right wingers who you know bought into all these craziest conspiracy theories and um and flipped you know they just flipped and um you know they they were they killed two police officers and Fortunately, um, they were both shot dead, and um, but they before that managed to uh, kill a guy in the local Walmart, and um, you know had this gigantic arsenal of guns, and they were ready for just about anything. And you find that in a lot of these kind of cases, where you know, I, I, again, I talk about three or four of them in the book, which post-date um, the Walkershire attacks, where people just literally do kind of go off the rails and they have these slender man obsessions um now you know whether people might say is it copycat effects you know something like that um is it coincidence is there something more going on or is it a bit of everything you know could it be multiple things it's um i think in some respects you know it's um even for me, it's difficult to not for me. It's not difficult for me to believe that you know we could be dealing with tulpas and thought forms. But when people, you know, going through teenage years, puberty, you know, your mind's in a whirl. You're not thinking straight at the best of times. Ninety-nine percent of people, even when they're not thinking at the best of times, don't do anything like any of these attacks. But sometimes right. they do, and sometimes you know they have a link to the Slenderman. But you could also make the case that most people who go on terrible shooting sprees aren't obsessed with the Slender Man. So, you know, you could look at it from both perspectives. But, um, you know, all I can really do is sort of 
present my theories and ideas and let the reader make their mind up rather than try and, you know, force it down people's throats. I can just sort of, you know, operate like an observer and demonstrate why I think this, why I think that, and why I find certain things just too much to just be coincidences. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You also talk about um, a guy named Mike Johnson and... I mean, and oh, he's yeah. seeing seeing a Slender Man. I think this is around two thousand one, or seeing a Slender Man like yeah. character. Let me say that. That I mean, this story, this freaked my shit, man. I, I'm not gonna <laughs> lie, this was weird. Yeah, I'm really interested in anything that came out before two thousand nine. Right, right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Mike was someone who, and this is important because his experience occurred in two thousand and one, but he gave me the story. Um, I think I'd have to check. I forget now. I think it was 2005 or 2006. And to demonstrate, you know, for people who say, well, you know, Nick could say anything, what he wanted to, you know, I've actually still got the original word documents where I'd written it down, you know, and, uh, or typed it out, I should say. And, um, and I also shared that with one of my publishers. So, you know, we, we've actually got, you know, um, a time frame uh, when this story was in circulation privately between me and various publishers. Um, but Mike uh, was someone who uh, worked in the uh, locally to an area where, not far from where I grew up, called the Cannock Chase. And the Cannock Chase is a large area of forest land in central England. And it has a reputation of uh, sort of really weird stuff going on. Um, over literally decades and decades. Um, it's the site of an old Iron Age hill fort, as they were known back then. A um, lot of old um, uh, monuments and things like that. And a lot of weird reports of creatures that range from Bigfoot-type animals, large black cats, um, the dogman phenomenon, which you might have heard of, and various other things. None, none of the Bigfoot were wearing flannel, were they? Actually, no, they weren't. But I'm <laughs> <laughs> joking aside. You know, John Keel wrote about um, flannel-wearing um, characters in one of his books. I, I don't know if it was many, um, if it was Mothman Prophecies or Operation Trojan Horse. But um, I can find that out for you and, uh, quite easily. So yeah, Tim but, in uh, the earlier part, he was talking about people seeing Bigfoot wearing flannel. Oh yeah, there are one or two stories yeah, like that where yeah. you know Bigfoot's been seen in like ragged clothes, like flannel clothes, yeah. And um, Lauren Coleman's got a lot of stories on on uh, flannel wearing men as well, so that might be worth looking into. Interesting. But um, but Mike Johnson, Mike contacted me and said, you know, I'd had this weird experience on the Canic Chase. So I said, well, what happened? And he agreed to put it all down in an email to me. Basically, he was out there working one day and. He had a kind of really weird feeling come over him where suddenly a place where, you know, he, he knew like the back of his hand, um, he couldn't figure out where he was. He was only like a couple of hundred yards from um, a, with a local cemetery where, you know, you can just park your car. But he couldn't figure out how to get there. And he said the sky didn't seem right and the the sun seemed to be in the wrong position. And he started to panic because... You know, he, he was in a place where, like I said, he knew, like, I know it. and the, But he could not find his way around. And he got kind of 
scared. I guess kind of like, you know, somebody who's in like the first stages of Alzheimer's, you know what I mean? When they suddenly, they don't know what they're doing or where they are. It was sort of like that. And then suddenly he saw in the distance, um, well, not, not too much in the distance, um, this tall figure. And he said it was easily sort of eight, nine feet tall, sort of a grayish cover, color, excuse me, um, covered in like um, like a gray color, like a one-piece outfit. And he said that as he got closer, and it was following a couple of people, three people who were just sort of, you know, taking a nice sort of stroll on a sunny afternoon through the woods. And um, he said it was clear that they couldn't see him because he was right behind them. Um, and yet they clearly, you know, weren't aware of it. And so what happened was he just stared, and he said as they all got closer, he could see that the face was indistinct, and the arms were down to the knees. And then after about 10 minutes or so, suddenly everything started to return to normal. The, he could hear the animals, uh, he could hear the birds, um, he could hear the uh, the sound of the car engines, you know, going through the road that runs to the side of the Canuck Chase. And it was like a bad dream was suddenly over. And he could see the three people, but again, the creature was gone. Now, bear in mind his description, like sort of an eight to nine foot tall humanoid with arms down to the knees in something like a grey coloured coverall, but fitting very tight and a face that was like blurry and didn't look like a face. That sounds just like the Slender Man, but without the name. And it was only really when, you know, the Slender Man phenomenon kicked off. I was like, holy shit, you know, this sounds just like what Mike described to me in like 2005 or six, <laughs> which, which actually happened in 2001, you know. And, um, and it was a really weird situation for him to suddenly find himself confused and not knowing what he was doing or where he was in uh, the, the the not being able to hear anything like everything stopping in the woods um you know uh steve stockton we've had him on a few times and he's talked about that he had an experience himself where he was somewhere in tennessee and he's walking around and he comes to this area and all of a sudden all sound ceases and he kind of walks out of this area, and then all of a sudden, everything starts up again. And I think Politis talks a lot about that in the Missing 411 stuff. Yeah, it is weird. I mean, um, you know, woods and forests are kind of um, spooky at the best of times. You know, I think we, it's something in our, almost like an inherited memory situation, you know, where forests, woods, you know, deep lakes mountains they kind of stir something in us you know what i mean but particularly woods you know it's like don't go in the woods it's like why well you know yeah. what's in there <laughs> you know it doesn't matter if you're like in the u.s the uk russia china they've all got the the kind of urban legend type stories of something in the woods you know what i mean and so maybe i sometimes wonder harking back to the tulpa angle you know if we if so many of us believe there are weird creatures in the woods, maybe that collective belief creates them. Maybe that's why I don't catch Bigfoot, because, right. you know, we created it in a mind frame situation um, rather than it just being an unknown ape. You know, perhaps why that's so many of these things are elusive, <clears throat> because they don't live in the way that 
we do. You know, it's a different kind of life. Yeah, well, it's like, you know, people seeing the Bigfoot in the UK, uh, which, you know, yeah. compared to the compared to the United States, North America is a very small place. Well, well you know, how I mean, in the world it, it, did, did, does that does yeah. that happen? You know, <laughs> how do they get there? Well, yeah. I mean, I'll, I'll give you a good example of all that. I mean, I actually wrote about a 320-page book on Bigfoot in the UK, which gives you an idea of how many... Um, reports there actually are from the UK. I mean, there's a tremendous amount, but a lot of them, the creatures, I mean, we're talking about like seven or eight foot tall, ape-like animals, but they're very often seen around stone circles, not Stonehenge, I've never got one from Stonehenge, but, you know, the UK is filled with smaller stone circles, and I've got a lot from stone circles, a couple of cases where they were seen near crop circles, near ancient bridges, um, crossroads, cemeteries, things which are all traditionally tied to supernatural activity, and up on mountains and hills and forests and woods. And I've spoke to so many really credible people who I don't doubt for one minute that they've seen something that looks like a seven to eight foot tall ape-like animal in the UK. But the idea that there are colonies of seven to eight foot tall ape eight men, whatever you want to call them, in the UK. It's complete bullshit. It cannot happen. Right. Because the UK is way too small. You know, it's got a population um, of 60 million. And there's just no way in a country of that size or lack of size that you could have, you know, colonies of giant apes roaming around and never be caught or shot or run over. It's just not possible. But people... Genuinely honest people do see them. So in the UK, at least, you know, I'm not necessarily saying we've got to apply this to every kind of unknown ape, but certainly in the UK, people are seeing something, but they're not flesh and blood apes. There's something far beyond or less than that. Right, right. Well, Nick, one final question for you. And that would be, since writing this book, has Slender Man paid you a visit? No, <laughs> yes, actually. But, I mean, joking aside, though, I think, you know, I, I don't think it would happen anyway. But what I, what I would say is that I guess my interest in the Slender Man is this issue of is it paranormal? Has it become paranormal? Could it be a thought form? Is there a link with, you know, the Matrix and, you know, reality versus unreality? Um, can the dream state... Um, you know, inspire some of this. That, that's, those are all the angles that intrigue me. What I don't do, and which doesn't interest me at all, is sort of like taking part in, you know, forums, chat rooms, or, you know, reading fictional stories of the Slender Man, or, you know, you know, just kind of following the phenomenon. I don't follow the phenomenon like um, so many people who do get obsessed with it. My approach is sort of, you know, I'm not. I'm not interested in investigating. Excuse me, becoming a fan of the Slenderman phenomenon. I'm interested in determining if there's a truth to this paranormal aspect to it. So, in other words, I don't kind of obsessive. Uh, don't get obsessive about it in terms of, you know, following it and, like I said, you know, staying up till four in the morning talking about <laughs> the Slenderman or whatever. Right. 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 For me, it's like I'm kind of detached from it. I'm sort of writing about it and theorizing and doing radio shows, but I'm not kind of 
you know, printing pictures off and putting them on the walls and, um, you know, buying Slenderman T-shirts, you know, and um, and watching every little fictional show about the subject that somebody's made. None of that interests me because that interests the fans of the Slenderman. Yeah. And I'm not really a fan of the Slenderman phenomenon, but I am someone who's deeply interested in how it's impacted on our lives. Right. I think it's interesting. Yeah. We have something that is clearly a fictional. We know it's fictional. We know it is. We can trace back where it actually came from, but yet people start to see the Slender Man. <laughs> yeah. That, that basically nails it, yep. you know, to the wall as to what, what the situation is right now. Well, Nick, where can people get the book, uh, contact you, all that good stuff? Uh, well, the book's called The Slenderman Mysteries, and you can get it on Amazon, and you can also buy it off the shelves in most uh, Barnes and Nobles. A lot of them have got the book in stock. Um, people can reach me at my blog, which is nickredfern 40 F-O-R-T-E-A-N, nickredfern40an.blogspot.com, or uh, Twitter, nickredfernufo, or um, Facebook. There's a bunch of Nick Redferns, but scroll down and you'll you'll see me and... Uh, Actually holding the Slender Man a book. So. <laughs> Excellent, Nick. Well, thank you so much. Uh, stay on the line for us, so we're going to close this section out. And, guys, we'll be back uh, to close out the show, as always, like it's pure normal. Welcome back to Conspiranormal, folks. What was this, hee-haw? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is, this, is that what this is? Uh, no. <laughs> he said, bring me in, and I can't do it the same way every time, you know? So I was like, okay, uh, it's true, we'll yeah. hee-haw this bitch. I'm making you, <laughs> I'm making you feel self-conscious. I remember watching that, man, back in the day, back when I was a kid. Like, my grandfather would watch that shit. You ever watch hee-haw? Oh, yeah, I've been in the studio many times where they uh, they filmed it. You've been in the studio? Yeah. Uh, where is that? The, the Opryland? That's right, because they did it here in Nashville. Grand, yeah, yeah. So the Grand Ole Opry, they're, they're uh, like rehearsal slash studio area. Yep. Did they have like a like a plaque on the door or something and said this is where Hee Haw was filmed? No, <laughs> someone just told me that, and I was like, oh, cool. <laughs> but that's going way back to the I 70s. I've never dude. seen an episode. Have <laughs> you ever seen an episode of Hee Haw? No. They always, I mean, I don't remember that much about I it. I saw some reruns when I was real little, but I, I don't, I can picture the one like gray haired dude. Yeah. There's like, they're always like grandpa, what's for dinner? And he'd always <laughs> come out and say like some weird stuff. He's like, well, I got a mess of pork and beans and I don't know. We'll have to go to YouTube and look at that. So we should save this for next week, right? Isn't well, yeah, yeah, we should uh, hope. I don't want to jinx it, but you know, I'm still trying to get in touch with the guy. So ah. Hopefully, by the time this actually comes out, we'll actually have already done that. So hopefully that, uh, yeah, i got a Nashville native that uh, has written a book about the hidden history of Nashville, and I'm still trying to uh, kind of pin him down, and I don't know whether he's going to join us here, which I don't know, he might be kind of weirded out, like, this is some dude's house. So I, I don't know. I think uh, Sergio might will probably join us for that one again, too, So since he's 
read the book as well. I'm going to get started on it soon. But uh, so hopefully uh, that happens. We'll, we'll knock on wood. So what did you think of that? Um, Some impressions about Slenderman. I, this whole, the, the whole thing, I mean, it's fascinated me for a while. Just the, the, you know, is it a, something that's just in our collective conscience and, you know, um, especially cases like the, the, um, the girls in Wisconsin and that whole, yeah. you know, murder thing. Is it, yeah. is it something they picked up on? She happens to be sensitive to cause she's schizophrenic. Right. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of that out there as well, but then there's, there's a lot of weird cases of just, um, uh, People seeing this kind of thing, even if they're an alter state kind of a thing, it's it's still a really, really kind of cool, interesting kind of topic that uh, these kind of things would start popping up when you're when you're at your most sensitive to that sort of creative level of thought or or perception or whatever, you know. And I think yeah. both both the guests kind of touched on that a lot. I think when people put in their collective consciousness into something. And all these archetypes that are out there, you know, which is a concept from what Jung, Carl Jung, yeah, talked about a lot about that. Which you, I think, are more familiar with that than I am. A little bit. I haven't, I haven't dug too deep into it. I just know the general concepts. Right. Yeah. Well, his main thing was he talked about UFOs, um, uh, flying saucers, as being just this type of just a collective archetype of the collective subconscious you know so i think you see in a lot of that i mean we've talked about this before you know i'll bring it up again for you rob with the phantom clowns <laughs> i am wearing you. i am wearing my pennywise t-shirt by the way underneath. son of a bitch <laughs> you know it's just yeah, i know how much you love it but i mean it's a good it's a good case of that and you know also the um i was going to ask you rob also about the night gaunts thing because you've read lovecraft um, is this something that you remember from that? Um, I heard him talking about it, but like I, I couldn't recall the story that it came from. I mean, I, I've read everything that H.P. Lovecraft wrote, but I, I, I don't I remember. It, I actually had it pulled up here. Uh, so, so the Night Gaunts are a fictional race in the Cthulhu mythos and is also part of H.P. Lovecraft's dream cycle. The creatures appear in the poem Night Gaunts and in the novella The Dream The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadoth. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. They're, uh, yeah. Um shoot, which characters were they? There's lots of weird characters and creatures in, in, in all of that especially the dream cycle. Yeah, what's the dream cycle? Um Oh god, it's some of the weirdest stuff that he wrote, but it's some of the really coolest too. It's it there's this um Oh, what is the like the He's like this evil. There's a map of it. Egyptian-y prince type character too. Well, but there's like there's like, um, it's this myth- mythical realm you can only kind of reach when you're sleeping. Huh. And it's, God, it's so bizarre. Like I can't even remember most of the details. But there's like, the way he describes the world, it's like these bizarre palatial like cities. Of, gardens and stairways and stuff and then there's all these like vast expanses of areas and the locals warn you away from these certain areas and then there's don't go there yeah it's i don't know it's bizarre i can't remember i can't remember exactly what the night gaunts are in relation to all that but well here's the um i mean wikipedia book of knowledge 
Um, <laughs> the dreamlands are apparently divided into four regions. The west contains the steps of deeper slumber descended via the cavern of flame and the enchanted woods by which many enter the dreamlands. Yeah, that was really cool. Other points of interest include the port of Dyath Lean, one of the dreamlands' largest cities, the town of Ulthar, where no man may kill a cat, the coastal jungle city oh, of, yeah, the, of like- Holonth, and the desert trading capital Ilarnik. <laughs> Here lies the fabled land of Minar, whose gray stones are etched with signs, and where rise the ruins of the great Sarnath. Uh... Which isn't Sarnath something in like Army of Darkness or something like the probably <laughs> the they, south they, they stole most of it <clears throat> right yeah the Necronomicon and all that uh huh <clears throat> the south home of the Isle of Oriob and the areas known as the Fantastic Realms described in the White Ship the east home of Salafius a city dreamt into being by its monarch Kuranes greatest of all recorded dreamers and the dangerous Forbidden Lands. The north, location of the fear plateau of Ling, home of man-eating spiders and the satyr-like men of Ling. Other clo- locales include the underworld, a subterranean region underneath the dreamlands inhabited by various monsters. The moon, accessible via a ship and inhabited by toad-like moon beasts allied with, <laughs> oh my god, Nyarlathotep and Kadath, a huge yeah, castle atop the mountain. that's the, the guy I was thinking of. And the domain of the great ones, the gods of Earth's dreamland. <laughs> Evidently, all dreamers see the dreamland slightly differently, as a tall high priest of Uthar mentions that everyone has their own dreamland. There you go, Luke. Yeah. In the same sentence, he says the dreamlands that many know is a general land of vision. That's that's what I was gonna say. Like, interesting. H H P is over here, you know, with all this trippy, like, you know, role playing fantasy kind of crap, and I'm over here, like, my little dream universe is just like a normal last city <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know I, i've got like a well, where no man can kill a cat it's apparently. not it's not totally oh. normal they like the the flea market is a ziggurat the cats actually rescue somebody from the moon where <laughs> all the go. toad creatures live at one point where all the what creatures live the weird toad creatures the weird toad yeah. creatures oh yeah yeah i need to read so i need to dig in some lovecraft yeah, that man. sounds badass it's great it's so out there that it's like because he he was going kind of against the like, there was all the classic monster archetypes of the time. You know, you had the Dracula, Wolfman, Frankenstein stuff right, that had been written right, in the eighteen hundreds, right. and he was just like, "Screw all that! I'm <laughs> I'm just gonna write some bizarre shit." <laughs> like, just come up with this whole total other yeah. uh-huh. vision. You got to wonder how much of that stuff he did dream actually dream. Though. It sounds like dreams. Yeah, yeah of course. All because- of it. Like, only only a dream will give you an idea that's so obscure and strange that like that you can use that as creative material. Yeah, know? and almost none of the monsters are like human like. They're just these bizarre like eighteen limbs with tentacles and big eyes on their back and like, huh. <laughs> bizarre <laughs> stuff. Yeah. So the Slender Man stuff kind of top taps into that a little bit. The that kind of Lovecraft mythos. Mm-hmm. All his mythology. But, see like the the whole expressionless like blank faced uh, apparition thing is like pretty common too. Yeah, and that that's where I that's where I come from with the whole Slender Man thing is that it's it's just like even that story I told you about whenever we were coming back from Oklahoma to to Nashville and and uh, yep. you know Debo and my other uh, coworker saw that whatever what it was walking down the street faceless said, yeah faceless child wearing a hoodie. Uh, see, like that. I mean, but that's like a reoccurring thing across 
Yeah. That is an archetype, like yeah. you're talking about. Yeah, yeah we, and, that, and that's the other thing with, with Slender Man. It might just be tapping into like a few facets of other, you know, kind of ingrained things that we're supposed to be terrified of. Yeah, you know, um, you know, Mark Anthony Wyatt talks about that with his dad's experience of seeing the bicycle, the yeah. guy on the bicycle with no face, and you know, I think the no face thing is a is a very, I think for any. Not just humans, but for any primates down to lemurs would be very disconcerting. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, because we the first thing we see is is a face. I uh, I started smoking weed again, so like you guys right. want to get you guys want to get some faceless masks and just like go scare people <laughs> and just well, go ride around. I have, we'll I have just three put, pour in somebody's window with a faceless. <laughs> oh, right. Dude, I would trip balls if I saw that outside my window at night. Oh my god. <laughs> Oh, so freak out. so Luke is going to get really high, and anybody can spare normal listeners that want to like freak him out. I know where he lives. Just just hit me up. I'll no, uh, please. Don't I'll send you the address. You can you can climb up to his back porch. I know and, where you live too. Dude. <laughs> just wait in the bed of his truck with your faceless mask. <laughs> with your faceless mask, you might get shot. Just 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 gonna let you know. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I would I would piss myself if I saw something like that outside my window at night. <laughs> yeah, I thought we were gonna we were gonna watch Kroll, and I thought that we were. Gonna... If we watch Kroll, we gotta watch Beastmaster and Legend and have yeah. a whole night of dude, it. Dude, I got a new projector right there. <laughs> yeah, we need to have we need to have a movie night, dude. We need to have a first, movie no, night. First, we're doing the B horror movie, and we're starting with Chopping Mall. Mm. There you go. But have you get any of you guys ever seen Dark City? Oh yeah. Yep. Okay. Long back when I it first came out. Of long it. Time I ago. turned it off. Yeah. It's a good movie. <laughs> I couldn't make it past the like the first thirty minutes or so. You gotta pay attention. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I hate that. I hate you know, paying attention is is is, is really, really hard. It, if I smoke first, I might be able to make it all the way through. It's like, dude, I totally understand it. <laughs> well, I mean also too, you know, um Dark City is also um it's kind of like a homage to German expressionism. The, the like film, like German films of the twenties, like the silent films, and like Nosferatu, which I tried to show Luke, he couldn't uh, quite. It's so bad. He couldn't quite get through it. It's so even Nosferatu. even though it had a typo negative. That's what I was gonna say. Soundtrack. I was gonna ask if you watched the typo negative. Yeah, version. I have it. Yeah, I have yeah, that. I, I fast uh, forwarded to that part and I heard the song in it, which was cool, but it's so bad. <laughs> well, you know. Get to appreciate fine films, sir. Uh, bar. I know. I know you can. I mean, I know that you really would. You just want to watch Beastmaster all day, but I, I, I'm a rebel when it comes to film, dude. If I were to make my own, then we all know what you would make. It would, it's very. It's very disturbing. It'd be you're, weird. You're, you know, Harmony Corinne times <laughs> yeah. times yes. ten. Yes. You know? Yes. <laughs> all the way, dude. I, w- I would be like Harmony Corinne, but he comes off to me as trying too hard sometimes. So like I, I would be in that same style, but mine would be more grounded. Yeah, well, I'll get behind that, man. I, I we need some audio support. Okay, <laughs> okay, there we go. We need there a we camera, uh, a GoFundMe, conspiranormal Luke makes a movie camera. <laughs> oh Lord, you don't know what you're asking on that one, guys. <laughs> All right, so hopefully next week we'll be talking about hidden history in Nashville. If not, then uh, we will um, we will plan something. I'm sure. Um, but I do have some good guests lined up for us as well. Um, got Aaron Gullius coming on. We're going to talk about his podcast, The Saucer Life. And I got in touch with Mike Cleland. We're going to talk about his new book, um, The Messengers. 
So those are the things to look forward to. Or actually, the, not the messengers, but stories from the messengers where he collects uh, stories about people dealing uh, with the kind of synchronistic experiences with owls. So we're going to get some of that. So, all right, guys. Well, um, so Flannel Man or Slender Man, what do you think? Who would win in a fight? You know, I, I would have said Slender Man before talking to Tim. But he's kind of got me sold with the whole like angsty grunge attitude, <laughs> blended with an axe <laughs> and red eyes and, and red eyes, terrible yeah. fashion, and sense. possibly turning into Bigfoot. <laughs> See, I don't know anything about like. There's no legend behind Slenderman. It's just a bunch of creepy pictures, you know. Yeah. Well, you could play the video game. <laughs> uh, that's true. <laughs> My mom was watching some movie. And it was like, I think it was out that Marble, it was based on the Marble Hornets thing. And it was like one of those found footage movies. Oh. And like all of a sudden this character comes out. I'm like, it's Slender Man. She's like, who's Slender Man? <laughs> and I was like, I just don't, I, I know you're going to explain it. Just, <laughs> I'm not even going to try. Screen cheese man. <laughs> My mom also likes to watch uh, Amish hauntings. So, oh, which nice. is, you know. Which is, you know, have you ever watched Amish hauntings? No. That's another destination America, Jim. Uh, they they have okay Amish hauntings I think I described this when we were on cruising with steak but Amish hauntings they have the reenactors like the normal reenactments but then you have other actors telling the story so because Amish can't be on film so it's like, why? What, what's <laughs> what's the point? Why why not just have the same group of actors to portraying it? And there was one that like they were being attacked by the ghost of an Amish bishop because uh, the guy wanted to keep electricity in his house. He had electricity in his house, and he's supposed to disconnect it, but he didn't end up disconnecting it. And so the Amish bishop's ghost was haunting him and torturing his child and. All kinds of weird stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah, that's the kind of like wonderful things that you can see on Destination America. I might pass that one. I don't know, man. You're missing out. Oh yeah, I'm did. gonna I'm gonna pay 160 a month for satellite TV right now. So I can see <laughs> that shit. Like, I'm missing out. Bro. Yeah, so you can just have like your like your gray matter just drip out of your ears. <laughs> All right, guys, I think that's it. Uh, so thank you, Timothy Renner. Thank you, Nick Redfern. And uh, guys, we will be back to talk about something next time on <laughs> Conspiranormal. Capuchow.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.